And uh, you've come for a great sermon this morning because we're in the book of Judges this morning. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Uh, some people are excited for that. Others are terrified by that. But uh, it will be a fun day this morning. Um, I do have to make a note that uh, we're in this series called Christ in All of Scripture. So we're taking each book of the Bible and we're taking a central text from each book week after week. And so we're in the book of Judges this week. Next week we will not be in the book of Ruth. If you look at your Bibles, Judges, and then it is Ruth. But we will not go there. And uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about why we will not go there. Um, Jesus in Luke chapter 24 verse 44 He says to his disciples, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Now, Jesus, when he is writing this, or when he is talking to his disciples, is reading the scriptures, the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, as they opened each scroll. And so there's three different divisions in the Hebrew scriptures. It's different than our English way that we see it in our Bible. It is, the first is the law, or Moses, in which... The law of Moses, Jesus says the law of Moses, which is the first five books of the Bible. Then there is the prophets, which consists of the former prophets, which we are going through right now. Joshua, Judges, First and Second Samuel, which will be next week. And then First and Second Kings, which is actually one book, First and Second Kings. And First and Second Samuel, which is one scroll. That is the former prophets. And then you have the major prophets which uh, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and then you have the minor prophets, the 12 minor prophets, which relate to the 12 tribes of Israel. The three major prophets relate to uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so the scriptures are, are the first five books, the prophets, and then the other writings, which Jesus calls the Psalms. And so you have the other writings, which is the Psalms, Esther, Ruth is one of those, and ends with Chronicles. And so we're going to actually walk through as Jesus did in the Hebrew Old Testament. Because I think that these patterns and what we're seeing in the books of the Bible actually relate to one another. And it's easier for us to actually understand the text as it is compiled in scrolls in the Hebrew scriptures. And so next week we will not be in Ruth. So if you're studying Ruth next week, you'll be like, uh, we're, we got a long ways to go before Ruth. We will be in First and Second Samuel as it is one book. Um, so we look to the coming king next week, but this week we are in the book of Judges. The former prophets here beginning with Joshua. Cody did a great job last week of beginning in Joshua Judges, First and Second Samuel, and First and Second Kings recount Israel's history in the land that God gave them until the exile, all right? And Judges is right in the middle of not so great of history. 
The theme of Judges is this downward spiral of Israel, God's people's life, to where it becomes chaos and rebellion against God. And ultimately, at the end, it will show that there is need of a godly king, a godly leader who will lead them to obey the word of the Lord. Now, um, this is what it says at the end of Judges, Judges 21, 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. You see, God had been faithful to the promise of Abraham. He had been faithful to the promise of God's people. He had been faithful to Moses. Joshua 21, 43 recounts God's faithfulness to bring them into the land. Thus the Lord God gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers and they took possession of it and they settled there and the Lord gave them rest on every side just as he sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. That's the story of Joshua. That was last week. All came to pass. God's promises are good. He is a faithful God. But even in the the conquest of Joshua taking the land back from the wicked Canaanites, God pronouncing judgment upon the Canaanites through Israel, there are hints of, of things not going so well for Israel. Joshua 17, 13. Now when the people of Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not utterly drive them out. That's a problem. At the end of Joshua's life, he draws a line in the sand. At the end of Moses' life, he calls and asks for the Lord to bring up another leader. And it's Joshua. And the Lord takes Joshua to be the person that takes Israel into the promised land. But Joshua, he doesn't ask the Lord for a leader. But he does draw a line in the sand. And he says, either you are on the Lord's side or you are on the side of of the people in which you dwell, which is foreign gods and idolatry. This is what Joshua says at the end of the book, Joshua 24, 19. But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the God for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. Right? If the, if the end of the book ended right there, we would be great. But then there comes judges. Dun, dun, dun. Right? 
Judges chapter 2, verse 10, and all that the generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Man, man, that, that's one of the saddest verses in the Bible. There's this generation that says, no, we're going to serve the Lord, the God. We're going to obey him. And then there comes a generation right after Joshua and his people die. That they do not know the Lord. They do not know the work that he had done for Israel. So the cycle begins and Judges is a cycle. It's a death cycle. God's people rebel. They worship other gods. And the Lord raises up a deliverer or a judge to save them. And they, they find rest. And then they rebel again. They forget. This is the cycle. Genesis 2, I'm sorry, Judges 2, 16. And the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked to obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning. Because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. My goodness. It says that they would become more corrupt. The book of Judges ends with a complete downward spiral of utter ruin and destruction, leaving us at the end of the book thinking, how will the promise of God continue through these people? Last verse tells us that they're in need of an eternal king that will lead his people to continue to walk in his ways. This last verse points us to King David, who we'll talk about next week, but we will learn even he fails. And we will need the King of kings and Lord of lords to deliver God's people from their judgment and wrath and lead the people rightly to continue to walk in the ways of the Lord forever by his might and power through the spirit of the living God. Now I chose Judges chapter 6 and the story of Gideon as the central text because what happens in the story of Gideon is you find a weak and wounded people in which God rescues only for them to continue downward in the spiral of utter destruction and Gideon is epitomized by that in his life. Let's read it together, the first part here in Judges chapter 6. We'll stand up in reading of God's word as we begin in verse 1 in Judges chapter 6, 
verse 1, and we'll read the story of Gideon. Judges chapter 6, verse 1. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years, and the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel, no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents and they would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted so that they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on the count of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt. I brought you out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you from the land of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell But you have not obeyed my voice. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Oprah, which belonged to Joash of the Abizarite, while his son Gideon was beating out the wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, Why then all this has happened to us? And where are all his wondrous deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us in the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours. Save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time together. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to hear your word. We thank you for the judges and the stories of your faithfulness amidst an unfaithful people. And Father, you choose to rescue us even when we are in sin, far from God, you call to us. And Father, you love your people. You desire for them to have a relationship, to walk with you all the days of their life. And Father, we pray for your church that we would see ourselves in this book an unfaithful people with a faithful God who chases after them. Father, let our hearts yearn to reflect your glory 
Let our hearts yearn to obey your words and your commands. Let our hearts yearn to worship you in spirit and in truth. Because you are good and you love us and you show steadfast love to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My aunt Emily, she she's a, she's a fun lady. She's the life of the party, and anywhere you go, you can know her uh, by being in the room with her. Her nickname, her grandma nickname, is Minnie, and she loves uh, Minnie Mouse. But she is bubbly as all get out. And when um, <clears throat> when in the '90s, you guys. Some of you weren't even around in the 90s, but in the 90s, there was a basketball team called the Chicago Bulls, and they had a guy named Michael Jordan on the team. Uh, Some of you may know him from the Last Dance documentary uh, that was just recently out, but uh, on that Bulls team, uh, they were pretty good. And uh, my Aunt Emily was in Phoenix at a conference one time, and she stepped into the elevator with the Bulls team. And uh, she stepped in the elevator with these huge guys in this elevator. And she looked around and they're, they're so tall and they're so big. And so you got Scottie Pippen, Michael Jordan, uh, you know, Horace Grant, these guys. And then you have this, this guy in there who some of you may have seen before. He's got like leopard hair. He's got all these tattoos. He's got piercings everywhere on his body. And uh, his name is Dennis Rodman. And uh, she was standing there kind of looking like this. Most people, you know, get a little nervous. But she didn't ask for an autograph. She didn't ask for a picture with them. Um, She turned and looked at Dennis Rodman. And she said, how do you pick your nose? He had multiple nose rings in there, and it was a question she wanted to ask. And uh, as a result, you know, it's a good question. And uh, after a laugh from the, uh, the players in the elevator, uh, they said to her, do you know who you're talking to? And, uh, of course, she said, yes, of course. But that's really the question when we're looking at this passage and Gideon is bantering back and forth with the Lord God Almighty. How many times do we banter back and forth with the Lord? Do you really have what's best for us in our own good interest? Do you, do you really, Lord, know what's best for me? I mean, where have you been these last few months in my life? And yet, we, we, when we look at the story of God, we see a picture that God does care for his people. That God is faithful to his promises. And, and we, we kind of looking at this story and we're reading this text of Gideon back and forth to the Lord and go, do you know who you're talking to? I mean, God has shown himself to be faithful time and time and time again. And he's going to show himself faithful in Gideon's life as well. And, and, and you're going to see at the end of Gideon's life, even though God shows himself to be faithful and so gracious to Gideon, Gideon just does his own thing. 
And my prayer for us in this room, if you're, if you're wondering, like, how does this relate to me? My prayer is, is that you see God for who he is. And then you ask yourself, how then shall I live? Shall I continue to walk in my own way or should I change the direction of my life to walk in obedience to God's way? Because our God is faithful and this, this really is the story of all of us, not just the story of Gideon. A faithful God amidst an unfaithful people. The story of Judges has these surprising deliverers. Ehud is a left-handed Benjaminite, which means son of the right hand. It's unexpected that he's left-handed. Shamgar is an apparent Gentile who uses an ox goad for his weapon. Jael is a woman who kills the commander of the army of Canaan with a tent peg. She uses some utensils that she had in the kitchen to kill the commander of the Lord's army. I mean, the commander of the army of Canaan. Jephthah is the son of a prostitute. Samson, who breaks every one of the Nazarite vows, yet God continues to use them. These surprising deliveries from a surprising God who is still faithful amidst an unfaithful people. So Gideon is no different It's surprising, and when you read this text, we are to be surprised that Gideon has enough boldness, has enough courage to actually do what God calls him to do. Gideon is is hiding from the enemy, doubts what the Lord has said to him, objects that he, he, he is from a weak clan and the least in his father's house, and then he tests the Lord by putting out a fleece. He is a weak man. Yet the Lord's first words to Gideon is what? Oh, mighty man of valor. Isn't that interesting? Oh, mighty man of valor. You're pretty weak. I mean, you read the story. It's like this guy is weak. Oh, mighty man of valor. I'm calling you by the name that I want to call you by. This is our first point this morning. God's steadfast love overcomes his people's weaknesses. God's steadfast love overcomes his people's weakness. God is showing his steadfast love amidst the weak and wicked people. Israel has lost sight of their God. The Midianites are ruthless. They take everything from God's people. If you have crops, they take it. If you have sheep, they take it. And the Lord sends a prophet to tell them why this is happening. And the prophet says, because you have not obeyed my voice. It's interesting, um, you know, that they have a pretty big problem here. They can't produce crops. They can't eat. They can't have sheep. They can't feed their family. They can't really do anything because people are just oppressing them and taking their stuff from them. And the Lord, does he send a deliverer? Not at first. He sends a guy to proclaim what's wrong. A prophet. It's like, it's like me going to a house and beginning to preach when the house is on fire and people are trying to get out of the house and I'm going, well, this is what the Lord says, right? The house is on fire. But just as much as God is sending a prophet to tell them what's wrong and he may be sending 
you today to hear what he has to say according to his word. He's also sending someone to deliver. And just as the prophet gets out of his mouth that they have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, God is sending or calling a man Gideon. He's calling Gideon. He's calling a deliverer. When I read through this book of Judges, I'm overwhelmed by the grace of God. That God still loves people. That he wants to deliver them in the midst of their sin. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. God wants to bring rest to our souls. If, he want, if we would just worship our God and obey him. Verse 11, what does it tell us? Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Oprah, which belonged to Joash, while his son Gideon was beating out the wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. Now, if you haven't threshed wheat lately, which you probably haven't, know that a wine press is not a great place to do that. Why? Because when you're threshing the wheat, you need wind to blow the light, airy chaff away so you can have the wheat actually fall to the ground, the good stuff fall to the ground. A wine press in the ground is not a good place for that. In a hole, there's not much air, there's not much wind, you're, you're really not doing much. So Gideon is hiding from the enemy. Not exactly Caleb who, who says, let's go take that mountain full of giants at 85 years old, right? Comparative. Now what happens next? Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him and says, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all this wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us? Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest. I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord has said to him, but I will be with you. And I will strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Not only does Gideon question the Lord's word, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? But he also questions the nature of God himself. Where are all his wondrous deeds? He even pronounces his own truth against the Lord and what he has said. He said, the Lord has forsaken us. Man. What's the Lord's response? Do I not send you? Often this is how it happens. We're grumbling and complaining about something. 
Maybe it's something that's happened in the church or in our lives. And God says, have I not sent you? Have I not placed my spirit in you? You are the answer to my prayer, Gideon, or your prayer, Gideon. Church, the spirit of the living God who resurrected Jesus from the grave says, have I not sent my spirit to you to accomplish my will amongst my people? If we're grumbling to the Lord for things to change, has he not given his spirit to you? It's like little kids who are pointing the finger at someone and, and they say, hey man, there's three fingers pointing back at you, right? <laughs> we always want to blame someone else. We always want someone else to step up. We always want someone else to be called. We always want someone else to do this. And the Lord's saying, no, have I not called you, Gideon? But, but I'm so weak. Verse 15, and he said, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my, my clan is the weakest. I'm, I'm the least in my father's house. You know, I'd really like to serve the Lord. I'd really like to do his work on a regular basis. I'd really like to proclaim the gospel, but I'm just kind of weak. 1 Corinthians 1.26 says this, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were a noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is why God chooses the weak to show his glory. Christ is the perfect picture who humbles himself, becomes nothing so that God could exalt him. And he does that through perfect obedience. Gideon even asks for a sign. And, and, and some people will, will take this text in, in verse 36. Um, well, he, takes, he asks for a sign first and the lord gives him a sign you remember when when the pharisees and sadducees came to jesus and they asked a sign from heaven from jesus he said an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign but no sign will be given to it except the sign of jodah now i've, I've been harsh on gideon for a little bit here on purpose but one thing that we can learn from him that he does do right is he does obey the Lord. Verse 25, the Lord asked him to tear down the altar. That night the Lord says to him, take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, pull down the altar of Baal 
that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold here with stones laid up in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. Now, he obeys. It's nighttime, right? But he does obey. And he tears down the altar to Baal that his family had placed up. And he puts up an altar for the Lord. Now God's going to use Gideon in a mighty way. He's going to defeat the Midianites here in a minute. But before he uses Gideon, he has Gideon tear down the idols in his life. I wonder if the Lord wants you to tear down some idols in your life before he can actually use you. You say, well, I don't, Rob, I don't really have idols in my home. The sign of idolatry is disobedience and anxiety. Both things Gideon has, fear and disobedience. In your relationships, in your giving financially, in your addictions, even with your kids who may become an idol for you if you're not careful. If you don't completely give these things to the Lord, they can take up a place and residence in your home that is greater than the Lord God Almighty. So before God uses you in the mission, he goes to war against your idols. So God takes an idol worshiper who is scared and says, Oh, mighty man of valor, am I not sending you, God, and his steadfast love? Says to you, his church, this morning, you are mighty men and women of valor. Rise up and be counted for the Lord's army. Rise up because I have a mission for you. Get rid of your idols and your fear and do what the Lord God commands you to do. So this first part ends with people saying, who tore down the altar that Gideon tore down? His dad says, Baal, let him contend for himself. So the people agree to that and they renamed Gideon Jerubal, which means basically a literal translation. It means Baal tell whooper, okay? That's what it means. The guy who beat Baal, all right? Verse 32 is where it tells us that. Therefore, on the day, Gideon was called Jeroboam, and to this day, let Baal contend against him because he broke down his altar. Now, all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together, and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. He sounded the trumpet, and the Bizarites were called out to follow him, and he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, and they too were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher, Zebulon, and Naphtali. And they went up to meet him. So just as Gideon tears down uh, 
the altar to Baal. Now he's renamed Jerubal. Now the Midianite army comes to gather, right? Now, now you're in a tough spot. Thirty-six. Then Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have said, behold, I'm laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and it is dry on the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early next morning, he squeezed the fleece. He wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Then Gideon said, let your, not your anger burn against me. That's how we know uh, this is wrong, by the way. Gideon even knows it's wrong. Let your anger not burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only and on the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only and on the ground there was dew. Not Gideon's finest moment as he's clothed with the spirit of the Lord. He has told him what he will do through Gideon. And Gideon still needs confirmation. What grace of God to confirm to Gideon. I will do it. Not once, but twice. What grace What grace. Verse 2 of chapter 7. Then the Lord said to Gideon, The people with who you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Thou now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. So Gideon's army goes from 32,000 to 10,000. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Take them down to the water and I will test them for you there. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought down the people to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who lap putting their hands to their mouth was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. And their trumpets, I'm sorry, into their hands. I, I'm, I've lost my spot here. And let all the others go every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hand and their trumpets. And he sent the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. And the Lord shows grace to Midian. I'm, I'm sorry, to Gideon. Midian, Gideon, okay, you got a lot going on here. I'm reading a lot here. This is a lot. 
Verse 9, the same night the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp where Pur your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterward your hand shall be strengthened to go down into the camp. Then he went down with Pura his servant to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. And their camels were number as the sands in the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, behold, I dreamed a dream. And behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, this is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. Now, you're supposed to laugh when you read this. The Hebrew, the, the writers are trying to tell you a story in which the dream is that Gideon becomes a loaf of bread, tumbles down the mountain, and, and flattens the tents of the Midianites, Okay. Gideon, this weak guy, is now a loaf of bread who comes and flattens the Midianites. But God, in his grace, is offering Gideon the courage that he needs to accomplish the task at hand. And through simple acts of obedience, Gideon will overcome. This is what it says in verse 19. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him, because they split up into three hundreds, came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch when they had just set the watch. And they blew the trumpets. They smashed the jars that were in their hands. And when the three companies blew the trumpets, broke the jars, they held in their hands the torches. And there in their right hands the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. And when they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. This is our second point this morning. God's salvation is for his glory. God's salvation is is for his glory. Why does the Lord bring him down from 32,000 to 10,000? You might say, oh, it's because these men feared the Lord. I'm not gonna go to battle with men who fear the Lord, but it doesn't make any sense to go to 10,000 to 300. But the Lord tells us that it is for his glory that man may not boast that they received the victory. You see, Christ's death is not so that you could receive glory. Any work of God in your life is not for your glory, but the glory of God himself. Sometimes God will reduce your army so that you have no choice but to trust in him. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's your marriage. God will reduce your army so that you can say, it is the Lord that will work in this area of my life. It is not me. I have nothing left. So much of our life is oftentimes looked at from our own 
inward self, saying, well, my marriage isn't good. Maybe, maybe God doesn't love me. I've lost my job. Maybe, maybe God's not with me. That's not true. Maybe God wants to do something great in your marriage through the brokenness that you've experienced in your marriage in the past. And he wants to show his glory through that. And he wants to help you help others because of your past brokenness who are experiencing brokenness now. Our our church may be an example of that. You look around, there there are many that, that used to be here that aren't here today. Some of you have lost friends, maybe due to death, or some, some people just simply have not returned from the pandemic. And he's reducing his army here at Northwest Baptist. So when the church pushes back the darkness in Oklahoma City, and when the church does glorious works for the glorious Savior, Jesus Christ, it's not about us. It's about him and his glory. That we can say it wasn't because we were mighty. It wasn't because we had great programs. It wasn't because we had good leadership. It was because our God did that. God has shown his patience to Gideon. His grace is all over this book and he will show his patience to his church. God will make Seemingly weakness displayed by Christ upon the cross. And he will save mankind from sin. God will use a carpenter from Nazareth riding on a donkey to save the world from the power of sin. He will save his people through the humble king and the servant of all. And the world will know that it was only God who could do that. You see, man could not save himself. He could not overcome death or sin by his might, but only by the work of God. It is the good news that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes upon him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Gideon has faith, he obeys the Lord, and the result is God's judgment among the Midianites. God's reduction of Gideon's army forces him to come up with a new plan. And it was better plan, because it resulted in victory without a single Israelite casualty. So Gideon's weakness actually became the source of his strength, only having 300 men caused him to come up with a new plan rather than just marching into the camp. What's his plan? Grab a torch, a jar, a trumpet, and go and stand on the mountain and blow it. Crash the jar down. Now, now back in the day, you have to understand, a trumpet meant a whole battalion and so did a, a torch. And so these 300 men were spread into three companies. And they go in the middle watch, which is approximately 3 a.m. When the first watch is coming back, the second watch is going out, and the third watch is fast asleep. 
in the middle of the night and they hear the jars break. And it sounds like tens of thousands. And they wake up and they're groggy and they just begin stabbing one another. They see the torches. They think that there's thousands around them. They think that they're in their camp and it's their own men coming back from the watches. And they're, they're going at it and Gideon is just looking at them, watching the Lord deliver his people. What a great high end of the story. God raises up a deliverer, defeats the enemies. Yet look what happens next. Gideon goes downhill fast. God's people must look past Gideon to a, to a, a faithful deliverer who will continue to walk with God. Gideon at the end of his life seems to take success that he has had and it goes to his head. First, he, he comes to two Israelite t- towns after chasing these kings. <coughs> one is Succoth, one is Peniel. They don't give his men bread and he deals ruthlessly with them. In bizarre fashion, he, he asks his young son to kill these kings and then we, the end of his life is chapter eight. Verse 22, then the men of Israel said to Gideon, rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you. My son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. What seems to be a really good quote here, but look what happens next. And Gideon said to them, let me make a request of you. Every one of you give me the earrings from his spoil. For they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. And they answered, we will willingly give them. And they spread a cloak and every man threw its earrings in the spoil. And the weight of the golden earrings, as he was requested, was 1,700 shekels of gold. Besides the crescent ornaments and the pendants and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian and besides the collars that were around the necks of the camels and Gideon made an ephod of it and put it in his city in Oprah and all Israel whored after it there. And it became a snare to Gideon and his family. So Midian was subdued before the people of Israel and they raised their heads no more and the land had rest 40 years in the days of Gideon. Jeroboam, the son of Joash, went and lived in his own house. Now Gideon had 70 sons and his, his own offspring, for he had many wives. And his concubine, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son, and he called his name Abimelech. Gideon says, I don't want to be king. The Lord will rule over you. Yet, what does he do? He takes the tribute as a king would from the earrings. He takes the king's clothes and their collars on their camels. He takes the ornaments from the king. He takes the pendants worn by the king. He has 70 sons and many wives like a king would. His son's name is Abimelech, which means my daddy is king. 
pretty strong name for a guy who says, no, the Lord's your king. I'm not going to be your king. But the worst part about the whole thing is that the altar to Baal that he tore down in the middle of the night for his family, he creates an idol of an ephod. Now, what is an ephod? It's used for a high priest to enter the Lord's presence and the people worship it. So he sets himself up to be God. He sets himself up to be the king priest that God actually desires. And this is a fake. Gideon is a fake. He is a fraud. You see, he's supposed to lead the people in the truth and obedience of God. He doesn't take the responsibility of being their king and leading the people as Deuteronomy tells what the king ought to do, which is to read the law. And what does he do? He takes all the spoils as if he's king, but he doesn't lead the people well. And thus the book ends with a need of a king who will guide the people in all truth. Abimelech, his son, will destroy his own people. And at the end of Abimelech's life, no longer are the Canaanites the enemy. In chapter 10, there is no sign of enemy because the enemy now is themselves. The end of the book will end with a horrendous picture of cannibalism as a Levite's wife is cut into pieces and sent to the 12 tribes as a sign of the wickedness has become so great among Israel that it is unbearable. And without a new king, a new heart for people of Israel, they left to themselves will self-destruct. So this is the third point this morning. God's people look to a king who will guide them into all truth. A faithful God amidst an unfaithful people. If you look back at the 90 years, 92 years now of the history of our church, we have sinned mightily in the eyes of God. There have been times of a spirit of laziness. There have been times of a spirit of contention. There have been times of an unsubmissive spirit. There have been idols that we have erected within our own families, within the church. And yet our God has been faithful. And we are ever grateful and thankful for the Lord's grace that he has shown in our lives. Christ Jesus is our king. We put that on the sign right there to remind us that we are to love Christ and live his mission as servants of King Jesus. God has given us a new heart, a new joy in serving him because we know that the Lord himself is the one that accomplishes everything. Our joy is not in our building or our accomplishments or a number of people. 
because our God is enough for us. So this morning, if you're hearing the word, how then shall you live? Shall you begin to tear down idols in your life? Shall then you be bold and step out in ministries in which God has called you to minister and yet you are afraid of the areas in your life? Maybe you're grumbling and complaining and the Lord is saying, I have chosen you to be my people, to be used for the mission of God. Or maybe God is using you in your mighty ways and you need to be reminded that it is him who does it all. Let us not be like Gideon. Let us not be like Israel. Let us be bold, resting in the power and the presence of God through his spirit. Let us worship and obey. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for...